might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pig. The people are going to have to stand up against the pig. That's what the pastors are doing. That's what the pastors are doing all over the world. Good evening. Uh welcome to another episode of Revolutionary Tracks. I'm going to be Marcus today, which means I'm hosting. Marcus is a uh, moderator, but uh, unmute and let us know how you're feeling, Marcus. Yo, what's up? What's up? What's up? That was a clever one uh with the track you played. Okay, nice. 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 Um but uh I'm good. Um I I mean, and this is what's like I I always like, you know, doing this is that, you know, I I, I met Ben. We met Ben. we spent um minutes to hours with him so i'm very excited to welcome in friend of show hopefully <laughs> how's it going man i am pretty good uh i'm pretty much over the covid you gave me in new york so you know i'm, I'm all right see that wasn't me that wasn't me cuz i came through unscathed <laughs> i my partner got it a few weeks ago nothing yeah. But I mean, we're good Christians. We sleep in separate beds. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know. I'm I, I smoke too much weed to get COVID. That's scientific data. Yeah, but, but on a serious note, what were your symptoms like? Because I'm hearing a lot of like horror stories about the current strain that's going around. Well, I mean, it's the only time I've ever gotten it, so I can't compare. But I had. On Wednesday I woke up and my throat was feeling kind of funny and I'm actually kind of a hypochondriac about it so I could took a test like right when I woke up and it was negative and then uh Thursday I was just wiped out all day I was just exhausted and very unsurprisingly I tested positive on Thursday and then by Friday I was down to just kind of feeling like I had a bad cold and then you know 
it's sort of very slowly gotten better since then. I mean, now I'm basically fine. I, I took, um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, taking the dog on walk and going on podcasts and all that stuff. And it's all been fine. Um, how much of the, the horse paste does you happen to? Um, yeah, yeah. So I actually, I, I just went down to the local stable cause I, I think yeah. the, the kind they give to humans is bullshit. I want the real, the real stuff. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I just kind of scooped up everything I could and, you know, brought it back. So I've been, <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've just been blended it into a protein shake every morning. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but, well, and that, I don't know, that might be a perfect, like, even encapsulation <laughs> of, of the culture war, yeah. Topics, yeah, we're going to be discussing. Um, but, uh, yeah, Carly, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think like it's important to, uh, while introducing you, it's important to like uh, kind of keep in mind that you're uh, you you wrote three books in quick succession in like three years, uh, all of which almost directly, if not like uh, indirectly, I guess like directly, except for the Christopher Hitchens one, which I I'd still imagine he was still like a person, a figure who was uh, heavily involved in the in the culture war, so to say, and like he had his own uh, take on it uh, most of the time, uh, although he was like a pretty potent political uh, critic and analyst as well um, but um, which your books both uh, uh, give them an argument which is also the name of the name of your show um, and uh, canceling comedians while the world burns uh, both directly take head on um, the the problem of the culture war and how socialists should uh, handle it but uh, before I you know I, rather than have me explain the entire thing uh, I'd, I'd like to have you kind of just like set up uh, the context of your show and uh, what what you hope to basically achieve, uh, mm. or like what you hope to do through the the concept of giving them an argument, what it means to you, and uh, you know how you go about it. Sure. So i I think that the way I've always thought about it, there are two components to it. One of them is like you know for. I don't know, I guess a little over a year on the Michael Brooks show before Michael died, I did a segment there every week called the debunk. And it, you know, so there's definitely a part of, there's a side of, of what I've been trying to do, which is about sort of going after the right and uh, debunking right wing arguments uh, and, you know, making, you know, and, and sort of making the case for, for left wing ideas. That's, that's one half of it. And then the other half is encouraging the left to be less dumb. And that was definitely a component, even of the first book. Uh, but it was obviously the, what was sort of front and center in the, the second book, right? I mean, that, that's my, um, you know, I mean, it, it is, in a sense, right? I mean, that what the second book, you know, Canceling Comedians is, 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 is just a sort of prolonged expression of frustration uh, with all of the things about the, uh, the left that, uh, that I think are, are counterproductive and, you know, and, and sort of help keep the tent small. And so that's the, you know, that's the sort of project going on behind those two books. I mean, in some ways, the, the third one, the Christopher Hitchens one, is actually a little bit more self indulgent because that, you know, definitely touches on all sorts of things that I'm interested in. And there are definitely points of connection with both of those, those two, those two sides of the project that I just laid out. But, um, but really, I just wrote it because 
Uh, he's somebody who I've always found fascinating, and this is a time, you know, it came out on the 10-year anniversary of his death that I think that, you know, uh, there might be more of an audience for, for people who want to sort of explore his work a little bit in a way that doesn't just sort of boil down to either um, people who are, I think, disappointed in for very good reasons uh, in his, some of his late life positions and sort of write the guy off because of that, or people who, um, you know, who like basically think he was right about everything, which I've, I've heard plenty of from, you know, I've heard plenty from those people since the book came out. And um, I guess on, on, on top of that, and this is kind of a question I, I ask you know, like a lot of the musicians that come on, um, yeah, but I'm actually curious as, as to, to to your take on this question. Is how do you want the audience, readers? How do they want you? How do you want them to receive you? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what I guess, like, yeah, when you're hoping, I hope people understand me as you know, blank. What would you What would you fill that in us? Yeah, right. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's often a balance between a couple of things. One is that, um, you know, is is that I'm a, like in terms of my own background, right? I mean, what I was doing before I was doing this, you know, I'm obviously a huge philosophy nerd. And so in different, in very, very different ways, the first and third books, you know, both reflect that in a big way and the second one just a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, how do I want, how do I want an audience to, to receive me? I think, um, as somebody who's wants to, you know, to make a case, right. For, for the ideas that I care about, that is, that has to do like, I guess, I guess, I don't know if this quite answers your question or not, but one way to think about it is that, um, you know, I think about like my late friend, uh, David McReynolds, who was a, uh, who's a, a socialist who ran for president a couple of times on the socialist party, uh, ticket way back when. And, uh, and he was involved in like the war resistors league, you know, he was like one of the first people who like, there's a picture of him, you know, burning his draft card with a bunch of other guys who are like wearing suits and ties, you know, at the, uh, at the beginning of the Vietnam war, you know, that was, that was David McReynolds. And, you know, a few years after he died, I was thinking about one of the things that I really got from him. And, and I think this also has to do with what I would like people to get from me, how I'd like people to receive me, which is that, you know, I think he's somebody who wasn't really very interested in sort of, um, in sort of burnishing his cred with other radicals. He didn't care about that, right? He cared about you know making radical ideas seem plausible to ordinary people, and I mean that is more than anything you know what I care about and what I I hope you know everything that I do at least kind of serves that purpose. I think like uh, you kind of do lay out your project um, interestingly in the in the introduction and like in the initial few chapters of uh, give them an argument where uh, basically it's it, I like that it's uh, it's structured um, as almost a ph- philosophy logic intro mm-hmm. like an intro to logic kind of primer uh, but in a way it's kind of like you're, you're you're telling socialists that like hey you need this base level of like argumentation and like logical reasoning 
if you are to go about the project of like convincing anybody who doesn't already agree with you uh, mm-hmm. to see your worldview and uh, somehow you, you you indicate that that's a that's a priority but what i also like is that like you kind of lay out even in the in this introduction itself and i think like uh, you see the significance of that introduction because you reference it in your second book uh, where you talk about how that um, this this kind of uh, convincing the other side is not immediately going to happen uh, but uh one the audience gets persuaded uh, and the second thing uh, that you also point out which i think is more crucial is that like the internal contradictions of the left need to be resolved through a form of logical reasoning at least like the way that you're uh, stating it like and, and how can you go about like uh, you know mending the contradictions that exist within the left itself so uh, while like you're largely perceived and i i i might be like you know mistaken mm-hmm. in in seeing this as your perception uh, as how you are perceived uh, you're perceived as a figure who like goes out and like debunks and like debates right wingers and like tries mm-hmm. to you know earn their crowd uh, win, win them over to your side etc like as your joe rogan appearance and like you know your recent appearance on the the you know uh, what's this uh, the the veritas guy uh, show uh, all of that uh, points points towards but like you also are significantly aiming your project at like even in, in resolving the contradictions between uh, various strands of leftists as well so like how do you uh, kind of approach this and like what does it involve in the way you see it yeah, so I mean, in a li- in a way, it's a little. Uh, again, I I think the two halves of this work together, right? I mean, so as as you say in that introductory chapter at the beginning of Give Them an Argument, I talk about uh, how you know one of the reasons that I actually say it's it's good to like actually take on right wing arguments and and. Um, uh, and sort of explain what's wrong with them, you know, like that part of the reason is outward facing that, um, you know, there are per- like, you're just going to lose persuadable people if you don't do that. Right. If you're only, if the only tools in your toolbox for pushing back against ideas you disagree with or mockery and moral condemnation, which is, you know, my perception of where a lot of the sort of post Bernie Sanders kind of left, um, was at, you know, when I wrote that book, um, and you know, I don't have any problem with either of those things. There are plenty of people and things in the world that deserve moral condemnation. I don't know how you're supposed to get through your day without mockery, but in, um, you know, if those are your only tools, then that's bad both because you lose persuadable people. Um, it's, uh, it's just a bad look, you know, and, uh, even in, uh, in optics terms, uh, and you know, people will assume that you don't have a good response to those arguments and also because, when disagreements arise within the left, as they inevitably do all the time, right? I mean, if mockery and moral condemnation are the only things in that toolbox, that's what you're going to end up turning on each other. And, you know, that's going to be pretty alienated, uh, you know, again, to anybody looking in from the outside uh, pretty quickly, right? So, so I do see those as related in that sense. But I also say, like, look, you referred to, you know, the debates or, you know, don't doing stuff like going on Rogan, it's not a debate exactly, but, you know, I mean, that that kind of outreach. Um, I guess I also do see, like, both halves of this, right? So both kind of tried to the outward-facing task of trying to persuade people who can be persuaded, um, you know, expand the tent, and then the inward-facing task of... Um, of just trying to to build a more appealing left, uh, 
I do see this as really related, not just because, you know, the more the second thing is successful, the easier it'll be to do the uh, the first thing, although that's certainly true too. But I guess even when I do go out and like do debates with right-wingers and stuff, I do try to kind of have an one eye on the question of like people on the left that like one of the things I'm trying to do beyond just sort of directly reaching anybody who might be reachable, you know, who's like in the audience, right. Physically or, you know, later, uh, but is to model for left-wing viewers and listeners, how I think they could go about, you know, like how they could go about talking about left-wing ideas, right? So in a way that's sort of intuitive and, you know, it would make sense to, to other people they might be trying to, to reach out to and maybe, you know, avoid some of the things that, you know, the title of your episode kind of gets at that people can get, you know, can get really wrapped up in and sort of emphasizes the things that I think are both um, maybe morally most important, right? You know, that they like as far as trying to have a better society with more equal distribution of resources and all that stuff, but also the kinds of things that are just going to be more appealing to people outside of the fold, you know, because that's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think we do have, I think we do have a, uh, you know, a product, right. You know, that, uh, the, you know, a platform that is, uh, that is potentially appealing to, to a lot of people. But I, I also think that we're often not great ambassadors for, for that platform. And so I hope, Right. You know, that I could like even going out to to, you know, argue with right wingers, you know, that I could like do it in a way that like could help, you know, even like leftists who might watch it because they, you know, they just watch people, you know, they just like like to see somebody argue with Charlie Kirk or whatever. That's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But like that they can watch it and and then maybe kind of pick up some of these lines and, you know, and, and sort of describe their own politics and in that way, which I think is healthy, both in terms of emphasizing what's strongest about, uh, about what we think, right. You know, and, uh, and, and then, you know, again, hopefully winning over other people. And, uh, with that, can I ask you, how do you judge success? Um, with, in, 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 I guess, in like the, the debate efforts, uh, specifically, um, yeah, you know, and like, which I, and like, <laughs> not, you know, you understand this would be like entirely like super tough, uh, and like, maybe even just like based down to like, uh, uh, analytics on, on social media. But, um, yeah, how do you, how do you judge success in, in, in the efforts of, of, of debate? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really hard, right? I mean, cause it, in some ways that's like saying, like, how do you, you know, how do you judge success when you write an article or how do you judge success when you do a podcast? Right. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, I mean, I think like certainly I will, uh, you know, I, actually before you go, I'll yeah. say there, yeah, yeah. I, I was asked the same question with like, you know, the project that I have with other vets yeah. and our, our answer is it's, it's so it's, just such a low bar you know because our answer is if one person says that they didn't join the military because of some of the information that we gave that's success that's right. an extremely low bar 
Yeah, but, but like, it's but that's it's good. That's it's, yeah. It's also very important, you know. And so, like, this isn't a you know, yeah, be getting ten thousand likes and retweets, you know. It, it, but you know, very personally, yeah. How do you how do you, you know, judge? Yeah, I mean, if you if you use that kind of bar, then then I feel pretty good because I've certainly. Um, and I mean, it's funny, right? Cause, cause there are a lot of people on the left who sort of convinced themselves that like debates pointless and nobody ever changes their mind and all this stuff, which is, which is hilarious because if you actually do this stuff, you will inevitably, you know, get a decent number of people telling you over the years that, um, I mean, I had somebody, you know, I remember like, you know, last year I went to debate uh, Gene Epstein at the at the Villages of Florida, and there was a dude who came up to me afterwards. Uh, this is like uh, I wasn't even mingling that much afterwards because I was I was like just before my immunity date, you know, for my second shot at that point in spring 2021. But uh, uh, this dude who came up to me afterwards and told me that he like he used to be this like young libertarian who would like hate read me a Jacobin. And then like it, it started to like work on him. And, uh, and he's like the, uh, I think he was like the vice chair or something of Orlando DSA at that point. But um, so I, I think that, yeah, I mean, cause the goal is to, you know, that I've, I've laid out as the primary goal at least is to persuade whoever's persuadable in uh in the audience who's watching and of course how small or big that portion of the audience is is kind of unknowable right i mean like i don't i don't know how many people uh i don't know how many people are watching you know uh me talk to you know charlie kirk or joe rogan or whoever are persuadable i mean i i think i think there are good reasons to think that like it's more than zero right but i don't i don't know i don't know what it is um because that's in some ways it's so it's so personal, right? I mean, because like what you're really talking about are people who you're kind of catching at the right time in their arc that they're that they're open to what you're saying, right? You know, and and that's just really hard to know how many people you know who are watching a given thing that is, you know. That again, I I know some of them because I hear from them, but I don't know I don't know how many, you know. I mean, I think um, so. I mean, I'm certainly very happy every time I do have somebody like one of the reasons that I keep my DMS open, um, even now, you know, which, uh, uh, even though I get plenty of crazy shit in there, you know, is, is that I do, you know, is that I love that. Right. When somebody like somebody sends me one, be like, Hey, I watched your debate with such and such, whatever. Uh, that was the first time I ever thought about this stuff. And, you know, it's really helped bring me around, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, like I, I love that, right? So, but it's 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 incredibly hard to measure. I mean, I think it. I think being real about it, um, I have. I mean, you can tell, like, they're a little bit, right? Like, they're like, there's stuff like, okay, look at the comments on the video, and uh, and for some of these, it's like, even like on the video, even on the video that like Charlie Kirk posted or whatever. There's like most people. Nobody seems to be like, oh, wasn't that great when Charlie really showed him blah, 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 right? You know, so that's a good side. But I, I mean, most of the time, so like there's stuff like that, right? Or like when people will be like, oh, um, you know, I'm a libertarian, but you totally won that or whatever. But like 
really, I think, realistically, most of the time, um, I think how I judge success, it's much more, it's much fuzzier and more subjective than that. It's, it's more like, you know, as I'm sure would be true for like a, you know, I mean, you were talking about musicians, the previous question, right? I mean, like for like, you kind of know, you know, if you're a musician, if you're a comic, whatever, like you kind of know whether something was a good set or not, right? You know, you have a good, you know, you have a, you have a sense of that. And I think the same thing is, is true here, right? You know, that like, you kind of know how smoothly things came out. You kind of know whether you, you know, whether things, the sort of direction of the conversation with the way that you hoped it would and all that stuff. So I don't know. It's probably not a very satisfying answer, but I think it is the real one. Yeah, no. And that's, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Like that. I, I got a few, you know, uh, like questions I enjoy asking that, you know, are a little bit more in the abstract that, you know, are really yeah, up to, <laughs> objective shit it's yeah like, most leftists are gonna be like well i sold a thousand copies of the book so yeah what i'm looking for <laughs> yeah well plus it's also like some of that stuff too i mean that's just i don't, I don't know how relevant how relevant it is right in other words like um you know i have so like yeah i mean after you know, I mean, after I went on Rogan, there were definitely big like bumps and everything, but it's it's but that's like they're that that's just good. They're going to be right because there are enough people watching that like you'll get a certain number of people who are curious about you. Like I even had um, Lillian Sakarachia, who's like, uh, like I love Lillian, but I mean she's she's like definitely uh, you know she's like a definitely a more theoretically focused kind of you know kind of leftist so. Um, you know, and she and she told me that like, uh, I remember her telling me right after that happened. She was like, "I have like two hundred Facebook friend requests. What the fuck is this?" Right? And nobody ever like I barely use this. Right? It's like, well, because people saw me on there, and she was the last guest before it. So like, there's a little bump of everything, but that just that's just curiosity, right? And that's good, right? I mean, that's it's good, right? But it's it's not it's not really. It's not really what we mean. I think we talk about success in something like this, right? Because success isn't that like there are a certain number of people who like saw it and got curious. There's, you know, success would mean like you actually, you know, persuaded some people or you at least moved the deal with some people, right? I mean, I don't expect like, I think usually persuasion is like a slow, weird, messy thing anyway. Like, certainly every time I think back to a time in my life that I've changed my mind about something. It's, you know, sometimes it is, but it's usually not the like road to Damascus, like just kind of like instantaneous thing, right? You know, usually it's more like, well, that was the first time I really thought about that and then it got me thinking or whatever. So, um, and like, it's also just kind of what impression people take away from it, right? It's like, well, what's, what's the impression that you get of like what socialist left is about, you know, when you like heard me talk, is it one that's like, gonna like make you more positively disposed to, towards it in the future or is it gonna be the opposite of that and you know yeah you can't really measure that with like views and book sales and all that stuff you know it's it's um you know it's messy i might be t- completely wrong about it but i definitely i definitely do have an internal sense of when it went well and when it didn't but also you know on some level who knows um 
I think like you also uh, again like going back to the book you do uh, kind of point out why uh, regardless of whether uh, how impactful or how successful this is uh, you kind of point out why you find this to be necessary especially and, and again like going back to the title of the episode itself which is uh, to think beyond a culture uh, that isn't just mired in culture war uh, it seems like the the right wing especially is almost exclusively interested in stoking this war because like every new thing that they turn into a form of a moral panic and like uh, the moral panic and it's so interesting because the the present day moral panic the moral panic of the day uh, as incited by the Pamela Paul article uh, is basically framed as a factual logic based uh, argument and you kind of point out uh, in, like using uh, cleverly the example of Ben Shapiro's book on uh, 11 ways of how to dismantle uh, leftist argument or whatever the book is called uh, that 10 of those 11 ways have nothing to do with logic or facts and like um and somehow you kind of need this kind of uh, engagement to even uh, point out that the people who are crying uh, so much about like logic and facts and like facts over feelings and what not are not playing their own like playing according to their own rules that they're framing and they uh, purely are working towards vilifying and like especially this uh, Chris Rufo guys um, <laughs> manifesto has like kind of pointed out that like it's purely an a, a battle it's it's a war and like uh, and that's why the culture war framing actually works because that's the kind of culture that the right wing seems insistent on imposing on um on the people in the United States and like uh, especially uh, as far as uh, bringing it back to the working class here um it fe- it seems as if like the working class is in unwittingly and inescapably stuck in this um and needs a way out and and you do seem to see your logic uh, and reasoning and the approach that you have as at least a step towards that way out uh before we begin talking about the actual dimensions of what the working class would rather do with their time can you like talk a little bit about what you are equipping the working class with or like anybody who's uh, identifying themselves as a socialist or not uh, independent or not uh, what kind of tools are you giving the uh, you know the working class through your argumentation and your logic um, to uh, engage with uh, a right wing framing that is you know decidedly disingenuous yeah uh, so the title of that ben shapiro book is uh, um you know, 11 tips for, uh, uh, well, I remember the end of the title is, uh, debating leftists and destroying them, which is, uh, which is just so luridly wonderful. Right. Cause it's like, you know, it's like, just, you know, he's not just, you know, he's not just giving, you know, he's not just arguing with people, you know, he's destroying them, you know, like it's like they're being, you know, they their people are going to be, have to be carried out of college auditoriums on stretchers, you know, when he's done with them. Uh, but yeah the the actual examples of destruction are are pretty are pretty scanty right is is kind of the point that's being made there right that the like you know in that that first book right gave him an argument was you know was trying to do a few things at once and one was kind of like kind of to sort of show that you know right wingers who make a big deal of kind of wrapping themselves in the rhetoric of logic and reasoning and you know, don't actually, uh, you know, like that they, there's no, there's no there there. Right. You know, and then, and then another is to sort of teach leftists how to actually use these tools, uh, by using the example of, of debunking, you know, the things that these, uh, these right wingers say. Um, so I would say, you know, and, and again, I think that, you know, the point was never that like, this is the only, tool that anybody on the left needs 
or even that these are the primary tools that anybody on the left needs, right? You know, I mean, I think that um, I don't actually think I, any of that stuff, right? It's just that this is this should be in in your toolbox, right? You know, should be your you know this ability to you know look carefully at arguments that you get from the other side and 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 show and show what's wrong with them. Um, on the culture war front, right? I mean, I think that. You know, I think that the, I mean, you're certainly right about the kind of cynicism of the way that the Rufos of the world want to get people riled up about whatever it is this, you know, I mean, this week it's, you know, I guess mostly trans people, but, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be next week. Um, And, you know, and it, I think the phrase moral panic definitely does, um, fit there, right? Uh, But I think that there are a couple of distinctions that people oftentimes in the left don't really make enough when they're they're thinking about this stuff and how to engage with it and how to respond to it. So one is uh, between culture war, properly speaking, right? You're fighting about cultural sensibilities and like social policy wars, right? You know, like, like fighting about what the laws should be. Because, of course, we are going to have laws, and either those laws are going to, you know, bad abortion or not, right? They're either going to, you know, bother people who are trying to you know, use the bathroom or they're not, right? And, uh, and it's not like I think that the socialist left can or should, consistently with its principles, be neutral about those things. I think we do need to take sides on those legal questions, right? But... Um, you know, even though oftentimes I think that like law, like laws are proposed for the sake of culture war pot stirring, right? It's for the sake of like proving to Ron DeSantis or whoever's base that he has all the right cultural sensibilities. Uh, I, I do still think we want to make a distinction between those two things, uh, be, you know, for a lot of reasons, right? You know, one of which is that. Um, like the nature of culture war, what it does is it t- is it tends to polarize the working class because the working class, like every other part of the population, is going to be culturally divided, right? I mean, there's no escaping that that they that you know people come from different regions, they have different religious backgrounds or not, they have you know they have different media diets, you know, and so uh, so people are going to have like very different underlying sensibilities about this stuff. Um, And whereas to the extent that we're talking about material issues, like issues about how resources are distributed, um, then that's something that that's going to be much less true about, right? Not that like, not that working class people are going to be a political monolith because of course they aren't. But I think the, I think with issues like that, you have the potential at least to uh, to have like a really overwhelming, you know, majority coalition on your on your side, right? Because the majority of the population is in the working class. The majority, of, you know, majority of people do have interests that are served by a left program, right? You know that uh, you have you know every single demographic subsection of the population, you know, racially, regionally, whatever, like. Uh, people express similar concerns about jobs and healthcare and, you know, and all that stuff. Right. So, 
Um, so I think anytime, you know, we can, anytime we can sort of change the channel to those issues, right? Which are the issues where, you know, what we have to say is the most powerful. It's going to speak to the most people. Then, you know, I, I think we've kind of won, right? And anytime we let the, uh, we let the channel stay lingering on the, uh, on the, you know, on the subjects where, um, you know, what we have to say maybe is, is much, you know, like on subjects that are just going to be much more polarized, even among people who, who our material program speaks to, right. You know, that's, you know, that's kind of a loss, right. So, and, and I think you can, you know, again, this is not a question about which, what positions you take on like social policy issues. You know, I, again, I think that's a matter of principle, you know, of, um, uh, you know, as Michael Brooks, I remember once said, right, you know, that if, if somebody says, oh, I agree with you about this, that, and the other thing, but, you you know, but like I insist on being able to discriminate against gay people. Well, that's a very short conversation. But I think that, you know, you can, I think there's also an approach rhetorically that makes more sense and one that makes less sense. And I think that there's a, you know, I think a lot of leftists when they're responding to the, to the right, um, I, I think they don't emphasize the things that I'd really want them to uh to, to emphasize, by which I just mean like uh they like there's a lot of left wing writing about the right that's all centered around like where the thesis of it is essentially you should be more scared of the right. Uh and uh and I'm not saying that's always wrong, but I think that that's like that could end, end up being like a really unhelpful sort of thesis to organize what you're saying around. Uh, I think that like a more helpful one is to say, look, why is it that um, why is it that these people are always, you know, are always like focused, like there's always some kind of like culture war nonsense that like, oh, they're trying to teach our kids critical race theory. Oh, the, you know, they're, boys are going to sneak into the girl's bathroom by cl- claiming to be trans. Oh, you know, they're like, whatever, right. Whatever the, whatever the stupid bullshit is that they're, that they're promoted every, you know, this week. Right. I mean, why is it that they have to do that? Right. And the reason they have to do that is because what they have to say on sort of, you know, core issues of what kind of society we have, how, how material resources are distributed is actually wildly unpopular. So of course they have to try to change the subject to that. And we don't, we don't have to fall for it. Right. I mean, like I, I wrote an article for the daily beast a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about the contrast between like Bernie Sanders as a political communicator and a lot of his would be successors. And I, and I say like one thing, you know, basically what I really like about Bernie as a communicator is that like, look, you ask Bernie about, any of those social policy issues that I mentioned, you know, abortion, gay rights, trans rights, any of those things. And he'll give a very succinct answer that, um, that reflects the same moral commitments to equality that inform all of his economic views. And then he'll pivot to those economic views because, because he has message discipline. Right. And I think we can all learn from that. Um, and there's actually something that you'd uh, mentioned in um, I can't even remember which one because I read them back to back, so you might have to tell me. But you're describing the DSA. Uh. Um, it was the canceling comedians. Uh, yeah, well, you're describing, you know, the the moment the DSA that you know Tucker Carlson takes, and you know he only used uses this one moment. 
yeah. you know, to really reemphasize his his narrative, um, you know, woke culture, whatever. Um, and you know, like like I think I appreciate this, like which would be great is also describing all of the things that have happened, you know, or at least not oh, not even all, right? You just yeah, but you, a bunch of the other stuff that happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, the majority of the actual conference and some of the you know the the good things that have happened. Um, so I. Uh, with 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 you going on Rogan, yeah, there was a portion of that that you know Andy No ends up using, you know, to kind of you know do the same thing. Yeah, the whole lot that you talked about on Rogan, Andy No focuses on one point and ends up using that for his own you know ends. Um, I guess in that moment, are there any like backtracks or are there any things like oh I wish I would have peppered in more. I don't disagree. I don't agree with this guy. Like, is there, or is, you know, is that yeah. just. Yeah, that's hard to say, right? Because cause I did. Um, so so just for anybody who's not familiar with what you're talking about, there's a, there's a point, like, if you, if you watch the Rogan, like, the first, like, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour. I mean, it, it's Rogan, so the subject jumps back and forth. But I mean, like, it's. Um, but it's like mostly sort of like core lefty economic stuff, right? For the first like big long chunk of it. And, um, but then eventually, I don't know, a, an hour and a half, two hours, something, two hour, half hours in, uh, he, uh, he talks about, uh, you know, he sort of says, oh, what are the parts of the book that got, um, you know, that like sort of got people on the left most pissed off? And uh, one of the reasons I actually picked the Andy No one to talk about is um, I was kind of try, you know, I was, I was like, look, this is like kind of, uh, you know, that's not really what I came on to talk about, right? That's not the that's you know the like that question that he's asking is is like, I mean, you'll notice that one thing I didn't really do any of uh, while I was on to talk about my book was actually promoting my book. Right. I mean, I actually uh, showed up with a copy of a, of a different book, right? Adolf Reed's book and you know, held it up at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, basically my agenda in that conversation was to every single time I could like pivot the conversation to, you know, here's why unions are important. Here's why we need Medicare for all, whatever, you know, stuff like that then I would do it, right? You know, and so it's a very simple agenda. And, you know, for a lot of the conversation, I was pretty successful at it, you know, definitely not all of it. Um, but yeah, there's a, when, when he sort of asks, like, oh, okay, like he, he basically does this thing where he's like, okay, we've talked about a lot of interesting things. Let's talk about the book, right? And let's talk about uh, what are the things in the book that uh, that people on the left got got most pissed off about. Uh, I mean, I picked the Andy No thing a little bit because it is something that people have did actually get you know very pissed off about at the time, but also because I guess I sort of naively thought that that and the other one that I picked, which was about that DSA convention moment, are things that like at this point everybody could just sort of like it's been years, and I thought at this point everybody could sort of quietly admit like yeah this stuff was stupid, right? You know, we, sh we shouldn't have done that. Uh, but apparently not, right? So, um, so they, and the Andy No thing was like particularly funny because, um, I mean, the, I think leading up to it, I definitely did say, I think Andy No is a bad person, right? You know, I, I think he's a, I think he's, I think he's dishonest. 
Um, you know, but but uh, that's not a good enough reason to beat him up, right? You know that they and uh, and it's a, a and it was a horrendous own goal to uh, to beat him up, right? I mean that this is uh, this is somebody who's you know a non-combatant uh, who and uh, and they're you know certainly not physically a threat to anybody. Right, you know, whatever you think about whether the you know whether it's right it is, but I mean certainly not physically a threat to anybody, and so I think that's I think that alone is a good enough reason to to say no, this is not a legitimate use of physical violence, uh, and and it's also just tremendously counterproductive, right? Because if you like if you're beating up this short gay Asian guy who's in the middle of the street because you don't like the things that he writes. Uh, that's, you know, that's going to send a, uh, just about the worst possible message to, uh, to anybody who's outside of the tent, right? About who you are. I mean, this is something that's going to make anybody, any normal person, right? Who's, and all I mean when I say normal person is just like not immersed in the political subculture of the left who, who sees that happen is, is going to have a pretty bad reaction to it. And, you know, and it's, it's, uh, so I, I I think strategically as well as morally it's kind of a disaster and that you know and I I again I would hope that like you know this was like almost three years later by the time this conversation on Rogan happened I would hope that everybody kind of admitted that by now right you know that we could we could just kind of take the L on that one I guess I mean, like beyond beyond that I, you know like more of going to the you know yeah I guess the, like the project that you you're describing of you know like the left being able to uh, yeah, I guess not do things. Uh, you know, I guess the way I see some simulations, I guess with what happened with the DSA and also that portion with the Rogan, right? Because of like the fact that there's a lot of things that happened in the conference. Tucker Carlson's going to get a use this. Yeah, but, this but, this, but at, this, at the same time, the point I make about it in the book is like, uh, even though, of course, Tucker's been wildly dishonest in, in just cherry picking this one part, it's also like. Um, the fact that people are acting that way in that one part when they know they're streaming this to the entire world, you know, is, is still, is still, you know, poorly considered. Right. So it's like the analogy would be if I, if I say something that like, you know, that gives no, the opportunity to, uh, to, to put out a video and, and be like, see, right. You know, then, um, then should I have not said that part? Right. Because, because that sort of creates that possibility, uh, and I guess the answer to that, I mean, like, and there are definitely, I mean, there are definitely ways that I could have approached that part of the conversation better. I think that, um, I think that some of the point about like the sort of who's a journalist and all that stuff, um, I think it was probably clearer in the book, which was when I was kind of trying to recap in conversation, but I think it came out a little weird in the conversation, which is just like, you know, because because really my point about that would be if Andy Noe were up for a journalism award, I might even say the words he's not a journalist, right? Because <laughs> I think he's a dishonest hack. But I think if we're talking about like freedom of the press or like a sort of taboo against speeding up journalists, then I think say, well, he's not a real journalist. That's a road you don't want to go down, right? That's not a road that's going to end well for the left, uh, which is, by the way, something that's also worth emphasizing whenever we talk about this stuff that like, um, you know, I think that the idea – that um you know i think the american left uh would not do well from a turn towards more political violence right i don't think that would go well for us let's let's just say that but 
Um, no, nah, and I'm, I'm a firm believer. Anyone, you know, just straight out spewing, you know, putting political violence in the public space is, you know, you, that that's fed shit. Um, you're just asking for people to get locked up. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, but 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 that said, right? Like, I do think that that part of the conversation, like, uh, again, I don't think it quite translated right from for the book to the way I put it in the conversation with Rogan. Because, like, some of the stuff about, like, well, you know, let's not be too, let's not go down this road of who counts as a real journalist. I think in that context, just because it's a very different thing when you're, like, writing a chapter and, like, somebody's going to read the entire chapter for when you're just talking in a conversation where people are going to read, hear little snippets. Uh, I, I think it could come off as a little bit too much of a defense of him, and, and that's certainly not my intention, right? So I think there's some grounds for self-criticism there. But um, but I also think that, like, the sense in which I don't lose too much sleep over the whole thing, despite that, is like, look, if somebody listens to that and thinks that I like Andy no more than I do, then that's a shame because I don't. But at the same time, I'm a little bit less concerned about sort of what, Andy No is able to like spin something as or like how he's able to make something sound because, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's most famous for having gotten beaten up once, right? I mean, like, uh, then I am, I'm less concerned with that than I am with like how you're just sort of average normie Joe Rogan listener, like what picture they take away of like what the left, you know, the socialist left or my part of the socialist left, the Jacobin left, whatever is like. And, and I think if you, you know, I, and I think there is some value to just being like, look, crazy shit that you might've seen, right. That's, um, you know, you might've seen these clips go around the DSA convention, or you might be aware of like Antifa doing like, you know, pretty deplorable things, right? Like that, that's like, that's, that's not us. Right. And I think that there is actually some, some, some value in that. Right. Cause like, I know that like when people don't like that, the reason they don't like it is because they're sort of thinking it's like, Oh, you're like spreading like sort of a bad, you know, bad impression of what the left is like or what it does. But I mean, I guess my message on that would just be like, trust me, this is anybody's first time hearing about any of this, right? You know, like I think, I think just being able to say, um, and I mean, ideally, you know, if I could like rerun that conversation like Groundhog Day until I had it perfectly, and I could do the perfect version of the JRE appearance, I would definitely like condense that part down to like two minutes uh, and uh, and and like do it really quickly and, and move on and, 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 you know, and, and try to minimize anything that would be like a sort of clip that he could take out of context to, to make it look like I was defending him more than I was considering that I actually did say a bunch of stuff in there about how dishonest I thought he was. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I think that like, just being like, look, we don't me people like me. We don't want to beat anybody up. We don't want to yell at anybody about clapping we just want you to have fucking healthcare and to like not die in a stupid war. Like that does seem like about the message that I'd want to send. So uh, we've got a call a little bit. Let's take this call and then like uh, I got a, I got a question about the DSA thing because like we had a pretty interesting conversation about uh, uh, DSA and uh, this especially this practice. Okay, uh, damn, uh, you should call again, Amrita. Uh, so yeah, I mean I don't know if. Uh, 
they're going to call again or uh, I, could, I guess I could just ask you. Um, so about this DSA, uh, especially, and, and I love that, like in the, throughout the book, uh, in both books, you uh, kind of resoundingly endorse uh, DSA and like yeah. you uh, speak of speak of yourself as a proud member of DSA. And uh, I like the I like this kind of like analysis that is coming from standing in solidarity uh, while at the same time kind of like being. Uh, an invested kind of stakeholder uh, critique of uh, what's going on and how uh, the DSA represents itself and like why it's important, why this representation to the outside world is important because like the organization has its own internal like democratic practices that allow it to like, you know, sustain itself in this sort of way where like you can have this uh, sign language applause as opposed to actual applause. Um, and people seem to be okay with it. And that's the kind of conversation that we had last week when somebody, there are, there were like two older lefties who kind of showed up and they said that they were anti-apartheid and all of this stuff. And then uh, they hate the fact that, I, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, they identified as that, but uh, they kind of like... Uh, independent. Only said he was an independent, so... You know, yes. Yeah, the, one of them at least I identified as a lefty uh, and said that like uh, they were they supported Harvey Hawkins and stuff like that, Jill Stein, etc. Uh. And still said that like they were uh, this this guy was like uh, totally throw, put off by the fact that like the DSA would do such a thing and that's kind of like alienating because uh, they don't really speak for the rest of the uh, working class and stuff like that. And and certainly this term Latinx is like another thing that's like a wedge issue where uh, the the usage of this term itself is seen as a form of like uh progressives being out of touch with uh, uh reality and like with the, with the average person uh so like kind of in in terms of uh, it seems really uh frustrating on one end because like it seems like the, the 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 level to which the dsa is able to have a certain sort of cohesion is through uh, a group of people agreeing on these terms with each other uh, but also like in a way to ask them uh, I say them because I am not a member of DSA uh, yeah. to uh, to like you know change their ways and like kind of mend this these like little do these little tweaks uh, seem to be an insensitive proposition itself uh, and I can uh, kind of see why because like uh, it seems like uh, these group of people have bonded together on this shared set of values um, and they believe that like this is something that is interesting or uh, it's good for. Uh, people to bond together with this sort of sense of solidarity. Um, and in this case, like, uh, in, a, in a kind of way, if this is alienating the working class, is this like a successful project? And like, how do you think this can be a more successful project while maintaining the same kind of cohesion that DSA has, um, but also be open uh, to perspectives that will be harsher, like for the lack of a better word? Like, I think that people will be less um, considered less inclusive in this respect, I think. Uh, when they join. Yeah. Uh, so, as you say, uh, I have been a member of, of DSA since 2015, and, and, and I I think it's a good thing, um, you know, that it's, you know, it's the largest organization, uh, the largest socialist organization that's existed in the U.S. since... Um, I think at least the popular front era, like 1940s Communist Party, um, you know, maybe longer than that at this point. Uh, and, you know, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a positive, right? I'm glad that DSA exists, and, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm a member of it. Uh, but inevitably, right, because that's where all the leftists ended up, it, it does, 
I think it partakes in all of the like unhelpful things about uh, about the American left right now, right? The the sort of culture of the uh, of the American left, uh, and I think that in both of those cases that you just mentioned, both of those examples, right? You know about sort of. Um, you know, the uh, gender-inclusive, you know, t- attempt at being more gender-inclusive by saying Latinx, which, uh, or as my friend Nando Vila always puts it, Latinx, uh, which is, um, like, only, I think something like literally 2% of Latinx people actually like to be referred to as Latinx, if you look at social surveys. Um, you know, the largest group, to be fair, doesn't care, but I mean, like only 2%, you know, use that term to describe themselves. And so I think if you're insisting on it, I think it, it's a small thing, right? I don't think it matters that much, right? I don't, I don't think that this is like necessarily make or break for anything. But yeah, I think it is. I think it is one small way in which people are sort of um, are helping to rhetorically make themselves less effective, right? Because because I think. Uh, most, if you're using like alienating language, right, you know, language that like most people wouldn't use to describe themselves, that maybe most people roll their eyes at a little bit, uh, included in, you know, in the, in the group that you're trying to, trying to appeal to in, in this sense, then that just seems, that just seems really unhelpful to me, right? Why, why would you do that, right? Like, and, um, and similarly with the uh, the the clapping thing, I mean, I I think a lot of leftists tell each tell each other, oh, actually, no, most people don't care about that. No, trust me, any ordinary person who who sees that will not have a good reaction to it, right? I mean, even the initial thing, right? This the sort of like, you know, no clapping, which you know is. I mean, I don't know how you would get through, like, if you really, it's such an extreme solution to the problem that it's supposed to be, uh, that's supposed to be solving, right? You know, that you have um, some extreme and extremely rare noise sensitivity that, like, you know, those few people who have it, you know, are, are going to, you have to navigate this stuff all day, every day, anyway, I mean, like, just, just you know, being at the bus stop, you know, being wherever. Uh, and so I'm a little skeptical that it's actually a realistic attempt at harm reduction. Uh, I think that it's, it seems more like a sort of performative way of proving uh, your level of commitment to, uh, to each other, right? That like, here's the space we control. So we're going to just turn up the accommodation dial in this space to 11 to like really prove to everybody in this space uh, how much we mean it. And then, you know, putting the two together, right? I mean, those clips, you know, those Tucker Carlson clips, the DSA convention, you know, where you have like, um, you know, one person getting up to say, hey, guys, no crosstalk, right? They're like shining people for, you know, like, uh, you know, for, for having, you know, personal conversations uh, that because of the noise sensitivity issue and then somebody else gets up and says, you know, hey, guys, is gender language. I have never talked to anybody outside the left who's seen those clips and who didn't think that what they were watching was crazy and like alienated, right? I mean, like this is, I, I think people are really fooling themselves if they, if they don't, if they don't like admit that the, the reaction of the vast majority of people to watching something like that is going to be, okay, these are some very unpleasant weirdos 
who I want nothing to to do with, right? And I think that if you're even, I think if you're even like attuned to the issue of how you're going to be perceived, like if that's like somewhere on your list of priorities, how you're going to be perceived by everybody else, you're not going to act this way. I think that this is a way that people act, sort of finding the most like extreme kind of uh, linguistic choices to, you know, like, you know, you can, uh, you know, you have to say, you know, the, uh, like the, the ACLU notoriously, um, took this quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg about why abortion rights were important and did this. And, but they just like removed all the references to the word women, you know, because, cause that wasn't inclusive enough, you know, you know, supposed to be birthing people or something like that. Like, neither the cause of abortion rights nor the cause of trans rights is served by doing stuff like that, right? I mean, that, that's, just, that's just an attempt to prove to other people within your very narrow circle uh, how advanced and evolved you are, and it's, it's not helpful in, in reaching out to people outside of it, right? And, I mean, do all of these things put together, are any of them, like, the main reason <laughs> why you know, the the left doesn't have a bigger reach or anything like that. No, I wouldn't claim that, right? But I, I would say that I would say that none of them help. And I think that if you're and that I and that I think that sometimes we have these habits of mind that come from the fact that anything to the left of mainstream American liberalism just spent like the longest time out in the wilderness. Right? Even like a you know, good honorable social democrat like Bernie Sanders spent most of his life as like this guy who you never would have heard of unless you happened to like watching C SPAN at three in the morning. And that under those circumstances, it's very easy to sort of let left wing politics turn into this kind of symbolic protest against the, you know, very real injustices around you and, you know, and, and, and really just sort of this display of how much you personally care. But I think that ultimately acted in this way that's designed to signal how much you personally care can really be in competition with, um, with actually, you know, with actually like reaching out to as many people as possible. Uh, so you could, uh, so you can, you know, so you can actually win some victories in the real world. You can actually do something about those injustices. Yeah. Uh, we have a, we have a caller. Let's like take the caller and then like, uh, Maybe like a couple of questions after that. Uh, one second. Vin, you're on. Mute button. Unmute button is on the right. At the bottom right. Hey, guys. Um, thanks for the discussion. And uh, I just had a question, I guess. Um, at what point do we start to just, like, do people just become overly cynical of, like, I guess I say Western left in general. Mm. I lived in a few different Western countries. It's all kind of the same. I guess America's still the great cultural export in a lot of ways. But, I mean, these ideas of, um, you know, birthing, like saying stuff like birthing people like you were just saying or uh, this narcissistic infighting and all this kind of stuff that goes on, the Latinx nonsense. Yeah, they seem like small issues, but they're so unappealing to the average person, like Ben just said. Why on earth... But like at what point do we just ask the question, isn't this just a small club of people who are just focused on, I don't know, their resumes or something? Like there's no, ten, there doesn't seem like there's any 
tangible desire or at least um, a framework to make any actual real change. It just seems like a club that people want to be a part of. I mean, how do you speak to, like, I guess, like my the parent, like my background of my parents, or a lot of people, like somewhat socially conservative working class immigrants. How on earth do you speak to people like that, or just anybody that's working class? Because they see that stuff and they're just so put off, and they won't even listen to maybe some of more substantive stuff you may want to say on economics. It's just, it's just, not, it's just like it seems so narcissistic and off-putting. So why on earth should we take the movement seriously in any way if they're just so stuck up on that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I want, uh, you know, I want a. I want a version of it that's not uh, that's not stuck up on on that stuff, right? I mean, where you like, yeah, you know, it's like where you support like anti discrimination laws, so people, so like trans people can't get like fired or lose their housing because of their their gender identity, but you also don't make everybody spend half an hour at the beginning of the meeting going around saying your preferred pronouns. Uh, I, and I think that that's, I think we could definitely have that kind of left. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, part of the point of writing the book in the first place was, was just to make people who are often annoyed by this stuff, uh, you know, feel a little bit less isolated, right. You know, kind of plant a little bit of a flag, you know, so, so they don't end up wandering away from the left because of it. But yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of have to like, I mean, some of this really is just sort of become the change that you want to see in the uh, in the left that you want to like when you're presenting left wing ideas, do it in a way that foregrounds the stuff that's most appealing. And I also think that like we'll have a better chance of, of getting a version of the left going that's not just like this small club, right, where like people want to prove that they belong in the club. Uh, if we get some points on the board and, and have like, um, and actually show that something outward facing can be successful. I mean, that's, it's, it's a small thing, but this is one of the reasons that I'm so excited about all these Starbucks unionizing, because that's like a, a tangible thing happening in the real world, uh, that it's, that like is, um, that everybody can kind of see there, the stores are everywhere. It's super visible, that you know once you once you see that happening right you could be like oh yeah we could like there might be some version of a movement here i could be involved in that like actually seems like it's outwardly facing and it's about something that it's about something that actually matters you know because because like this is the thing like a lot of this stuff too i should say is a product of the fact that so many people on the left, and I'm certainly not exempting myself from this, right? Like I'm an adjunct philosophy professor, you know, but like so many people on the left, um, where, where by the left, I mean like DSA, uh, you know, left media, you know, all of that stuff uh, are, are not really coming out of anything like an organized working class. They're coming out of like media and academia and stuff like that. So these are sort of places where these are kind of traditional middle-class professions that are maybe rapidly becoming more precarious, but in some ways that just makes some of that stuff worse because people want to sort of climb over each other for whatever crumbs are left. So, um, you know, I mean, the more we could get a left that it's actually, that's actually rooted in an organized working class, the less we get a left that's rooted in journalists and academics and on both of those things. But even so, uh, you know, the, 
the better chance we have of having one that doesn't just come off as this like small weird alienated club yeah no i think that's a oh sorry i just had a weird question but um, i was just gonna say yeah i think that's a great point about the background of some of maybe the voices or people who have a lot of uh, attention and left movements i mean i guess like an example i always point to is like over the last two years when we had lockdown policies you had a lot of people a lot of voices on the left who were just comfortable yelling at people who are not complying with lockdowns when it's like you have working it's like they're okay with that but they're and they're they want everybody to stay home but they're totally and you're they're okay yelling at that about that but they're not they don't have any issue with some working class Uber Eats driver bringing them their food all the time and they don't care what happens to them so i think it's just like a part of it is just people a lot of these people are just fundamentally out of touch and it just becomes a major issue. I guess the last quick question is, how much credence, and I'll hop off, how much credence do you give to this growing talking point that a lot of the infighting that happens in the left is some sort of, you know, intelligence plant or intelligence mm. operation and blah, blah, blah. I think it's a growing thing that's happening that's causing infighting in these organizations. How much credence do you think give to that? I think some, I think a lot of that is coke personally, but I, I don't know, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think a lot. I I agree with you. I think it's mostly cope. I think that uh, I think in some ways I would actually feel better if it were true, <laughs> but uh, but I don't think it is right because in some ways that would kind of be redundant, right? I mean, we like um, at this point we we do this to ourselves, right? So like on one of the first episodes of my show, uh, Nick and Day was on, and she and she made this point there. She was saying she was she's been reading about the history of uh, CoinTelPro. And I guess in, in her case, particularly, she was reading about the history of uh, kind of the FBI and I think maybe like the California police, Red, state police, Red Squad, I'm not sure, uh, going after these like small communist groups in like the late 70s uh, in the sort of post-SDS kind of period. And uh, one of the things that she was describing was that they would go through all of this effort, right, to uh, like the FBI plants would like convince one of these little Maoist groups to like devote the entire next issue of their newsletter to going after this other little Maoist group. And then once the newsletter was out, the FBI would like mail everybody in the group they were going after copies of it, right. To make sure that they saw it. And, uh, and, and she said all she could think, which is look at this as wow, Now that's all totally redundant, right? I mean, with Twitter, right. There's, there's, there's no need right for, uh, there's no need for the FBI to go around making sure everybody knows what all of our harshest criticisms are of each other. You know, we just kind of put it out there. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Marcus. Uh, yeah, before you get to even respond to like the, the, the first question, because uh, I, you know, I just totally agree with the second, <laughs> the second point you made. Um, I think it's, it's really important to emphasize that, you know, a lot, even, you know, a lot of the, the infighting, um, or, you know, a lot of the most, you know, like ridiculous things that, you know, can, you know, get popular. This, this is very much online, you know, there's there, cause there's, there's just way more people who are actually doing good work and it really doesn't even get, uh, highlighted. You know, there's, there's, not, there's thousands of mutual aid groups around, you know, that, uh. that don't get talked about, you know, the you know like just the, the the daily work that goes on in the DSA and I am a member and I see that shit and I'm part of that shit too, um, 
yeah, these 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 things happen. And then I think, you know, part of the point that uh, Ben had made earlier is that having a discussion with someone and they bring up something that you know isn't just good left work that's happening, just say you're not paying attention to that, but what you are paying attention to is this, you know, the I mean, hell, like work of the poor people's campaign, organizing poor people, you know, around working class issues. You know, you can talk about the DSA and actually any of any of their <laughs> initiatives that they have around housing, um, around community control of the police. You know, there's 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 things that you can point to that you can just deflect. You know, you can just actually mm-hmm. say, like, no, don't 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 bother with the bullshit. Here's actual people. This is real leftism. This is real socialism in action where, you know, yeah, people are doing the work on the ground. So, yeah. I mean, at that point, yeah, just be a good PR person for the left. You know, it's not that you don't have to just like completely deny that these things exist, but the emphasis that you put on them, you know, and the emphasis that you may or may not be putting on the good work, that is on you. Right. But, uh, yeah, next, next caller, caller, like, would you be able to take it? Let's see. Gabriella, you're on. Uh, mute hey. button is bottom right. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yep. All right. Well, I love what Ben said about finding solidarity in the working class struggle. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Um, And I think that a lot of the conflict within, you know, like the leftist is just, you know, who's the more loyal one and who knows the most. And it just turns into like a passion project just and nothing really comes out of it. But I do like the idea of finding common thread in working class struggles. And even if you're not part of the working class, you know, it's always good to have allies. I mean, I live in a border town where, you know, the my university here, like 75, 80% of graduates uh, get a degree in criminal justice and a ton of them go into border patrol or policing. And that's because government jobs are secure jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we oversee these facts and we just go and attack, you know, we're kind of also alienating a faction of people who are also working class folks. And we might be inadvertently pushing them to the right. And I think that we need allies in all directions, because guess what? Not everybody has the privilege to go to a four year liberal arts college on mommy and daddy's money, you know? Some of us are faced with the reality of having to make ends meet and we just don't have the luxury to do whatever the hell we want. And I sometimes feel like, you know, you know, whether you're a commie or a leftist or whatever, it's tested on, you know, your individuality and what career path you chose without really looking at the big picture of why is it that you are in the situation you're in? You know, um, I don't know. No, I think I think that's a great point. Uh, sorry, Ben. Uh, I just thought, I just thought that I'll uh, piggyback on that with a question because I kind of wanted to raise this as a question. And Gabriel, thank you for bringing up this point, uh, which is basically that like uh, I think I think there's like, uh, and I have to emphasize here, and this is why I kind of wanted to interject uh, that the right wing is equally culpable in this context, in this concept of like framing uh, everything as a performative issue uh, and, and an issue of posturing rather than an actual like culture of authenticity of any sort. Um, and like because and, and, and the, the, there need, need be no more examples stated than like the the 
people that you discuss in your book pen which is like ben shapiro and mm-hmm. all of them basically they they're, they're all liars for the lack of a better word they're all pretending mm-hmm. they're performing they don't have they don't believe in all the stuff that they're saying it's a role that they're paid to play and uh, in a kind of way that the left uh, the quote unquote left is kind of doing something similar where like there is a certain amount of fundraising capability there's a certain level of like um incentives that are uh, coming because of a certain uh, kind of posture that you have uh, you get a certain following etc uh, so b- in both cases i f- i feel like we see a certain form of performativity being uh, incentivized uh, whereas like uh, i think like the working class um, i would include myself in this uh, even if you know like i might not be the t- t- typical like uh, working in a factory kind of person um, that like that uh, we're sick and tired of this like we want a different incentive structure where uh, how do you bridge towards an incentive structure where performativity is no longer valued because it still seems to be very much in vogue yeah um well i mean i think that it, of course the right is um you know what's what's people to to focus on on silly nonsense right because that's actually good for them right you know it's uh cuz cuz fundamentally what what is the right what they they want to they want to keep things the the way they are right i mean like obviously there are you know there are sort of past victories for you know the working class and oppressed people that they want to roll back that's true too right but i mean like on a really fundamental level right i mean what they you know what they want to do is to keep the distribution of power and resources the way that it is and even the stuff that's that's like um where they want to go further right where they want to you know roll back um you know roll back gains that have already been made even that stuff from their perspective is much better done sort of uh while nobody's paid very much attention right you know that like you can kind of get your uh you know, Federalist Society judges in and, you know, and, and get uh, do your, you know, like, uh, oh, well, okay, or like this is a legislative example, but I mean, it's one of my favorites uh, for the last several months, which is that um, after, if anybody remembers Joe Biden's State of the Union, uh, one of the things he talked about was having a $30 price cap for uh, insulin for diabetics. And, you know, now look, I think it's obscene that anybody should have to pay anything for insulin, uh, that, you know, that that's not just free, but it's, it's still like incredibly funny in a really dark way. All of the people on the right who claim to be the biggest, like mega populists, you know, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, your Josh Howley's, they all voted against a $30 limit on the price of insulin, right? Like why, and how do they get away with doing that? Well, because they think that people are going to focus elsewhere. And so, like, from their perspective, it makes perfect sense that it's like, yeah, what what if, what should people be focused on? They should be focused on, you know, how the sexy green M&M is gone, right? You know, they should be focused on, like, whatever, you know, the, uh, you know, what Whoopi Goldberg said, you know, these are all dated examples from earlier this year, but you know what I'm saying, right? You know, that, that like, it, it's good right. for... It's good for them to have people focused on nonsense, whereas in the case of the left, it's good for you maybe if you're a left-wing content creator. It's maybe good for your clicks if you're focused on nonsense, but it's not good for what we're actually trying to achieve politically. Yeah, um, and I mean, like, uh, to to address the point of how we can actually 
move towards a, 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 a sort of a paradigm where uh, in, this is not incentivized because like as you said like it seems like the 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 car is being driven by people who are uh, you know going for the clicks and going for uh, the clout um, and like fundraising uh, and stuff like that from certain demographics that seem to be uh, you know tr- triggered or like motivated by this kind of posturing that seems to identify uh, with this kind of like posturing um, and even this this extends to beyond just the uh, the demographics of podcasters or pol- political actors uh, even uh, in like people who donate to the democratic party for instance like the democratic party doesn't care um, about like you know implementing any of the policies that it runs on but then like it always like fundraises from that and it has a pretty secure base of people who are willing to donate money to that and seems like increasingly uh, a highly posturing left uh, is also targeting such demographics and so we're stuck in this endless loop and this is why I kind of wanted to have this conversation with you where like uh, the working class is is a victim of both of these kind of like um, you know perspectives and and I think that like to recenter the conversation for the working class to prioritize its issues um what kind of like incentive structure could we even be looking at like in terms of uh yeah yeah i mean i think that in a way this gets down to me to the answer to the previous question you know the previous caller's question that you know because i think to a certain extent um you can i do think there's value in just trying to individually model a uh of a, a better kind of discourse uh and uh and so like in um you know if i'm going to you know if i'm going to argue with uh you know if i go on stage you know with with charlie kirk or you know james o'keefe or whatever i'm going to spend my time talking about um labor unions and healthcare Right, you know, because because I want the you know I I want to change the channel to those topics as much as at all possible, um, but then you know then would you you know but I mean ultimately right if you're if you're talking about incentive structures uh well there's only so far individually modeling something better can go right I mean like you you need the you know you need the actual structure to be different. And this is, and this too is something I think that you just need to have a more organized working class because, you know, if you have, um, if you look at like other examples of like socialist or communist or labor parties in different parts of the world where you have like maybe, you know, you have media that's attached to those parties, you have, you know, intellectuals maybe who are like allied to those parties, um, there, you know, like you get a different incentive structure because it's it's attached to a real movement, you know. So you have, um, so so there is this sort of uh, there there is maybe some built-in incentive to actually be speaking to the issues of the people at the base of that movement. So that's not something that you know could be willed into existence, of course, you know, by like individuals and media just just trying to try you know like just sort of doing that on the road but i think we can you know i think we could model what it would look like and i think you know again i think if we ultimately you know have um you know if some of these efforts around starbucks and amazon and apple now you know are are more successful you know then who knows what might, might be possible in the 
in the future, right? I mean, like that there's a difference between the kind of media or the kind of political discourse you're going to get if it's like 1937 and there are sit-down strikes going on than if it's like, you know, versus if it's like 1927 and nothing like that is happening at all. Gabriella, you have uh, anything to add to this? Well, you know, I think that, you know, regardless of where you sit, you know, we have far more in common with, you know, those people sitting on the right or sitting in the middle, you know, especially when it comes to healthcare, global warming. I mean, we have more to lose. And I think that there's a lot of potential that hasn't been tapped into. And uh, but I'm still anchored in hope, um, you know, for, for change, uh, you know, but uh, but I also agree that, you know, there's just too much of a snobbery, inner conflict, loyalty bounds that really needs to be removed or dismantled in order for us to have, you know, at least some sort of common denominator or common ground, which is, you know, at least, you know, from a labor perspective and what that means and how it can be defined to benefit everyone, regardless of where you stand. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the things is, and I guess I don't know if the the rest of the panel feels, um, and then, and Ben, I know we've probably probably (laughs) taken up uh, quite a bit of your time. So we probably have to get it, get going here pretty soon. Um, but Hey, you know, in order for a successful movement, it, the the re, like requirement of a hundred percent, you know, being on board is not necessary, and like right. not some like you know like an anti democratic thing. It just it's like in order to get the political um, political power necessary to change things, you don't need a hundred percent of like every you know all workers, right? Everybody that makes under seventy five thousand doesn't need to be on board with it. Yeah. Um, but it's important, right, that you get you're able to, to get a lot of people, and it's important that the message. Especially, you know, in regards to uh, any type of socialist future, has has that full solution for everyone, you know, and that even though <laughs> people may not agree with you, you actually wor- are working in their best interest. Um, and the movement, the actions of the movement, I think have to reflect that. And you know, that I guess for me, I, I've, I I try and keep away like a lot of the time of of some of the, like the left. No, in, in, in left, you know, like in intra left culture war stuff. Um, because I, I think it, that very much happens on the subject, you know, just like in an online space that doesn't necessarily bleed out, you know, unless you're getting, you know, some of these like right wing propaganda spins, which is, you know, very harmful. Um, uh, but no, at the end of the day, I think people are going to be able to be organized a lot more around, you know, these specific actions that tied to the narratives, you know, um, if you're organizing around, you know, labor, if you're organizing around healthcare, um, and not just, you know, saying, Hey, we need people to vote in Medicare for all, but actually, you know, finding ways to deliver in, 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 in innovative, innovative ways. That's really the way that you're going to get people on your side. You know, is that is some type of reaching out and helping them that you know that's really i think the 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 biggest key that we have is not necessarily like an argument but the the actions that are actually you're know, behind our arguments oh i think ben got oh. dropped as a okay invite to speak there we go um yeah ben is back uh, i mean uh ben uh, what do you have to say to that sorry 
Uh, yeah, no, I think everything Marcus says makes sense. I mean, I, I guess, like, what I was thinking about when he was saying that is that there are, like, two very different approaches you could take, and I don't think one's right and one's wrong. I think they're just, like, different, and it's worth thinking about, you know, which one you're doing or what combination you're doing uh, when the left does stupid shit and gets in its own way, right? You know, one is that you can... Um, you know, one is that you can sort of uh, go on record as saying, like, I don't agree with that. Uh, and uh, I obviously think there's some value to that or I wouldn't have written the second book um, in terms of, like, sending a signal to people outside, be like, look, you don't have to accept the stupid, st-. you know, you don't, like, have to be on board with all of that, right? You can, you know, you can, um, you know, you can still come be part of us anyway. Um, but then the second is to just ignore it and to just do better work. And, and and just sort of not even give it the oxygen. And I've alternated between those in terms of priorities and, you know, emphasis over the years. And I think there's probably some wisdom in both. Um, I think maybe the, maybe the thing that makes the most sense, you know, in most contexts is just to kind of like, if it comes up, to just sort of briefly note, yeah, I think that's ridiculous too or whatever, and just kind of go about your business. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that it does, like, ultimately, right, the the solution, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, you just have to kind of show that you're, like, here's a better way of doing it where we um, de-emphasize everything that's peripheral and we have, and we're doing some kind of work that actually does concretely, you know, help people. You know, we we got you a union at your workplace, you know, you we, you know, whatever it was that we, uh, that we did, you know, that... Um, and and that like I I think the more points you put on the board, I mean, the better chance you're going to have of like actually getting um, of actually having that approach be the dominant one on the on the left, because because ultimately you know that's what people are going to gravitate to, right? Like that uh, if you most people don't all the stuff that goes with sort of like seeing it as this little club where you have to prove it to yourself to each other. Like there's a certain kind of person who's into that, but I think enough people are uh, are not right. That like if you could build something better, that's going to be what's going to have all the gravitational force behind it. Yeah, I don't think you get Chris Smalls and you know Amazon labor union. I don't think you get um, the Starbucks unionized effort if if this is just you know an elite theory club, right? Um, you know the, the the good stuff is out there. Um, and and actually, you know, and like I think Ben, um, I'd probably fall somewhere in the, you know, like between, you know, and I think probably most people should have where there are some things that you should just dismiss immediately, right? It's just ridiculous to have a conversation about. Um, and then there are other things that are going to pop up where you should, you know, address and say, this is bad and I disagree with it. And, you know, that may look a little bit different for everyone, but on a large scale, this is where, you know, there's I, you know, like I don't you know, like when people say oh we agree on a lot more than we disagree with I don't actually believe that you know I think maybe within like you know, like your like political circles then like sure yeah you're actually going to be able to agree but um, yeah a lot of people are dealing with the same frameworks and and, and, and knowledge base to actually you know like agree, even know what they're agreeing on um, but yeah I, I, at the end of the day. Um, there is, I think there's an overemphasis on the differences between the left um, 
and you know short of like hey this person's or this ideology is is disruptive hurtful you know violent you know whatever um some yeah some some shit you can just kind of shrug and let it go um and 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 move on with more important stuff and kind of hope because that's where the victories are going to come the victories aren't going to come from nonsense they're going to come from real people doing real work yeah I got a I got a last question. I don't know if uh, this especially because uh, it, it it this is from an audience member. They, they, she tried to call in a little while earlier, but then she seems to have typed this as a as a comment. Um, and uh, this this might be an interesting thing to close on. Um, can have Ben? Can you weigh in on how you think comedy as a form can make some of these ideas more viable? What is the philosophy of the joke itself that ensures a certain kind of working bridge? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean, normally I would think of comedy as something that is mostly separate uh, from from politics, which isn't to say, obviously, a kind of comedy about politics, but but that, like, I usually think it's, it's kind of a mistake to, um, in a certain way, to, like, think that it's going to be politically important in a way. I think it's just it's probably just not going to be right. I mean, like part of the reason I called the book canceling comedians is that I was trying, besides the fact that it like alliterates, uh, is that I was trying to come up with something that's just like a sort of obviously silly, extreme example of like things that would are like, would be sort of diversions of your time. Cause in a certain sense, it's like, look, I like stand up comedy. I enjoy that as an art form, but like also who cares, right? You know, stand up comics aren't very important. Uh, but I guess the but that I would put after that is I think that, um, you know, I think there's also a way of combining them that's that could be really good and, and valuable, right? I mean, like most people, um, you know, most people don't like being lectured at, right? So if you could mix in some humor, you know, that's I think that's I think that's generally all to the good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think like Bo Burnham does a good job of like uh, kind of bringing some of the more subversive elements into his comedy. And like uh, you also point out in the book, like enough places where Dave Chappelle himself like has actually kind of signaled his own allyship, like while uh, making controversial jokes. And like, I mean, these are these are, I think, like not trivial, non-trivial observations, I feel like. And yeah. uh, we we do kind of look past them too quickly to get to a point of like the critique and uh, whatnot, the takedown and whatnot. But uh, Marcus, do you have anything to add? Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Ben. Um, I'm, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. No, um, I think I, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I appreciate right. Ben coming on. Um, it was also nice meeting you and hanging out for the Sublation uh, media launch. Um, that was, that was a pretty cool experience that hopefully we can <laughs> do again and um, not have people go home with COVID. Yeah, yeah. Just just don't get me COVID next time. We're all good. I, I promise I'll try not to, but um, maybe I just <laughs> okay. am the COVID. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you have coming up, Ben? And uh, what 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 do you have, what are you working on? Uh, what would you like to uh, sure. plug if you have anything? Um, yeah, let's see. What do I have coming up? So, um, I am, uh, so I guess I'll just, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm working on some stuff for uh, for Jacobin, but I guess I'll just say I'll just say you know listen to uh, to give them an argument. Uh, watch watch it. Uh, Eight o'clock on Monday night on uh, EST for uh, the main show on YouTube and. Thursday nights, uh, also at eight, we do uh, debate breakdowns. So um, yeah, check that out. And uh, also do have the uh, the multimedia empire does also include a call-in show, but I haven't been nearly regular enough about that lately. I need to I need to go back and, and start doing that a lot more. All right, so we don't have a song to close tonight. Uh, we just had a pretty cool song to start with, but I uh, hope you had a good time. Uh, join us again uh, Friday. We are going to have part two of uh, our interview with uh, Awkward, who's coming back uh, talk about his 10 Demands organization, uh, his abolitionist politics, and, of course, his music. Uh, we're going to have more of a deep uh, deep dive into his music and uh, how he actually combines um his activism with hip hop. He's a pretty good rapper and uh, he's got some pretty cool songs that uh, we'd like to play for you. So thank you for tuning in. Um, it's always a pleasure.